podcast has bad words. <laughs> I was thinking as, as the minimalists, like what if we, instead of having these fancy cameras mm-hmm. and this, well, I guess the light is important, mm-hmm. um, the lighting that we, we use. What if we yeah, had like old VHS recorders, <laughs> Jordan? We develop a real aesthetic. I mean, <laughs> this is what everyone's going for now on Instagram and YouTube. But I think we, we would end up spending more money on VHS tapes. Yeah. Imagine the nightmare of editing that, Jordan. My God. You would need some sort of editing bay that has three VCRs set up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's funny. You're right, though. They have, like, filters <laughs> that make yeah. it look like it's on VHS. Well, and and yeah. warped VHS, too, right? Wow. Yeah. By the way, this is the Minimalist Private Podcast yes. on Patreon. Hello, patrons. Ryan, let's, there's so many things I want to talk about. We're going to talk about maximalism today. Okay. The question we alluded to on the minimal episode is, what is maximalism and when is it better than minimalism? I've got this article mm. in our More About Less segment. Before, before we get into that, I thought maybe you and I could talk about a few things. There was a, a bit of carryover on the relationship question mm. from the minimal episode about walking away or trying harder. But yeah. before we even get into that, mm-hmm. maybe we talk about this interview you did recently. You said you're, you're oh, struggling yeah. with letting go I'm of... I'm letting go of... What's well, funny though, actually, I was... So uh, during our break, I was telling you that I was struggling to let go of this anxiety that I have of this interview I did with a French reporter last week mm-hmm. that really from the very <clears throat> beginning of it, she just wasn't, she didn't, uh, she wasn't trying to be like, Oh, let's show how great the minimalists are. I mean, from the very beginning, it was like, I saw online that you're worth $124 million. Is this true? <laughs> when I'm like, no, like that's not true. It's like, but if I was like, so what? She's like, well, what do you mean? So what? Wouldn't that be a bit paradoxical? And I'm like, how is it paradoxical? She's like, well, you, you know, the things that you talk about getting rid of things. I'm like, well, we don't denounce money. Uh-huh. And also I would think minimalists, if they practice what Josh and I talk about, they'd have more money than most because they wouldn't be wasting their money on junk. Right. And, uh, yeah, it just, it really started off on a negative foot. And like, I was trying to get deeper with her because it was a profile piece. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to get deeper with her than just like, you know, here's the just in case rule, which is very important to go over these rules. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to get to the truth behind why consumerism is where it's at in our world today. Mm -hmm. Why did it affect me? Um, Why are we doing what we're doing to talk out against consumerism? and, And it went okay. I just, I don't, I mean, the it hasn't been published yet, but yeah, I'm like, I have a lot of anxiety about, I had a lot of anxiety about like, you know, I feel like this is just going to be like a hit piece because just some of the things that she was saying just kind of struck me as odd. And then, yeah, I got an email from, uh, from our French publicist that was like, Hey, she wants to, she said she wants to get your email address so she can send you a couple more questions. And one of them is pretty personal and she'd rather send them to you directly, which just tells me that like she doesn't want to ask this question in front of other people. She want, uh, but that's so weird if you're going to publish it, right? Oh yeah. Like I can't imagine like what what kind of personal question would you not want to send to an agent? Yeah. But you'd want to send it to the person to like what's your dick size? Like right. I, I can't right. imagine how many times you have sex with your wife a day. Yeah, like 
Yeah, it, 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 it sounds almost inappropriate. Now, it could be a cultural thing, too. So if yeah, we have any might be. any French listeners here, I mean, I know we do, but if you if you feel compelled to comment on the Patreon comments, let us know if it, maybe that this is just a, mm. a well, I want to be more direct. I think maybe, maybe maybe the person is trying to be more courteous in a way. I guess. But yeah, I mean, the, but it just, for some reason, I just feel, because there was a point where I was basically saying how uh you know if life in a lot of ways is a big joke and like you have to approach things sometimes with with laughing at it otherwise you will spend your days crying Mm. but like when i said that i could tell she like looked at me like it just wasn't the joke wasn't translating well which is you know which is my bad for trying to make a joke when you know there's a language barrier when there's a language barrier yeah i mean she spoke very good english but you know just even even you know if i was talking to someone in england like you know the jokes translate different it's sure. just call across different cultures you know and then yeah. add to it the language barrier there's yes. even more to it so so yeah i mean uh it'll be what it, it'll be uh i guess like when i was sitting down right before you know podcast sean clapped us in and we started recording this i was kind of thinking that i don't know man um if what we do can't be held up to scrutiny, mm-hmm. then you know I've got to ask myself: or Am I doing the right thing? Then for sure. And then you know, being raised as a Jehovah's Witness is what really taught me this, because being raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, you were told to not question. Mm. And if you look outside of the organization at anything else that questions your religion, mm-hmm. then you are an apostate and, you know, you're this really bad person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they claim to have the truth and the truth can can stand up to criticism and scrutiny. Yeah. And, you know, I guess that just translates over to me because I feel, you know, like I'm living a very authentic life. I'm, I feel very good about what we do. And mm-hmm. um, if it can't stand up to a hit piece, well, then... I've got to ask myself, what? Well, what is that hit piece speaking to? What mm. truth is it? Is it touching on? Is yeah. there any truth that it's touching on? That's so great. that's a great observation. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's still it's still anxiety because I feel like there's just certain, it's it's just things that said during the interview that I'm like, if those are taken out of anything, could be taken out of context, right? But I feel like she was looking for things to take out of context, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, I wouldn't ascribe. <laughs> that onto someone just yet now yeah I, I guess what i would ask is like what's the worst thing that could happen let's say it isn't an, an the it is a true hit piece we've seen these on us before mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah it wouldn't be the first one no 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 no. Mm-hmm. and by the way it probably wouldn't be the worst one right regardless I, well, j- just because there's so many out there yeah it's <laughs> well it goes back to you know someone calling me a chair you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, like, but it's, no, because it, it, but it doesn't because if if someone called you a chair, you would say I'm not a chair, but yeah, and but you wouldn't have anxiety around it. But what I would have anxiety around is people who have barely heard of me mm-hmm. or who have never heard of me yes. or us, whatever. Like they be like, oh, interesting. This article says that this Ryan Nicodemus guy is a chair, mm-hmm. and then. It's, it's not just that it's not explained to the reporter that I'm not a chair. It's everyone coming to me and being like, is it true that you're a chair? 
Right. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, no, right. I'm not a chair. Mm-hmm. Like, no. But y- y- so that's that's where I think the anxiety comes from is like having to feeling like I have to explain myself. Um, but again, it's like I don't. I also don't feel like I have to explain myself. Yeah, if and that makes I any think sense. that's that's the key takeaway that I learned. I wrote an essay about this in 2011 yeah. called "You Don't Have to Explain Yourself," mm-hmm. and and the gist of that is that. The people who love you, care about you, mm-hmm. appreciate you, they don't require an explanation because mm-hmm. they love you, care about you, appreciate you. The people who don't love you, care about you, appreciate you, they don't require an explanation because they don't, they don't deserve one anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think when I, I look at that situation, I always go into these interviews expecting, not with a guard up, but mm. under, not expecting either, understanding the possibility. Mm. Like the, the, bit, the most prime example of all of this was back in 2017 when New York Magazine came out and uh, followed us on tour, right? right. Kyle, who I, I knew beforehand, I didn't disclose this to you or Sean or, or Jess or anyone else on the tour, mm. he had written a hit piece on minimalism yeah. the year previous to that. Yes. And, and before... <laughs> When I read that, it was about like the gospel of something and the minimalism and comparing it to church and dogma mm-hmm. or whatever. When I read it, I said, oh, he thinks I'm a chair. Right. And so when he wrote, when he wrote to our publicist and said, hey. Um, can I follow these can guys? Can I follow around? these guys? My, my first reaction was like, well, no, this guy thinks I'm a chair. And then it, I said, well, if he comes out with us, he'll see that I'm not a chair. Right. The only way to expose him to the truth, even if he has an agenda mm-hmm. and wants to write a new hit piece, the only way, in which he kind of did, I mean, the New York Magazine was, was I thought, relatively fair. He said some things that, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Or, right. Um, you know, he, he wasn't very complimentary of my, my looks, but and that's okay. Or my mother's voice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, he spent time with your mother. Well, and so, well, some people make their living off of being a critic. What, what, they, and, they, and, they, and they those, make off of being incendiary, too. Yeah, and, and you know, someone like Kyle, um, and I haven't even read any of this, this reporter's, these profile pieces she's done. Um, it's probably going to be very lovely, honestly, but, like, there's this... It just there's something I don't know why there's mm-hmm. like just this gut feeling of like it's not going to be this complimentary piece. But regardless, critics make their living off of criticizing. Mm-hmm. So regardless if Kyle went out with us or not, regardless if I talked to this reporter or not, they're going to criticize because that's how they make their bread and butter. And also understand the criticism is not for you. Sure, the conversation is for others now it may be an unfortunate criticism that you disagree with or whatever but even even then it's still not for you it's like if my wife makes dinner for us tonight mm-hmm. it's also not for you mm-hmm. right yeah and and even if you made the worst dinner you'd have no reason to get upset by it right uh, and i think the, the same thing is true here now of course uh the the irony of this is no it's not paradoxical it'd be fine to have uh, 120, 124 million dollars. Yeah, yeah, I don't even know where she got that. Like, I tried to find it after she said that. I couldn't yeah. even find the so, so website she was talking about. Neither one of us are millionaires. Um, we both left our corporate jobs with some debt, and so we had less than zero dollars when we yeah. um, 
left the corporate world, we have more than zero dollars now in the sense that neither one of us have debt. We're both debt free. Right. And that's the American dream that we are living. In fact, I thought this was a perfect chance to pivot into this discussion. We we ended the minimal episode talking about, you know, 2020 was a difficult year financially for yeah. most people. Right. Uh, my brother lost a couple jobs throughout the year and uh, you know, he, he got a temporary job at Amazon. His factory closed down that he was working at. He's now working third shift at a meat packing plant, which yeah. is probably the most difficult job that you can work. And yeah, and and but he's doing it to you know, feed his family. And, and you know, his his oldest daughter just graduated high school, which is amazing. We're old, man. Yes, <laughs> God, we're old. Uh, and his youngest daughter isn't even in kindergarten yet. So, yeah. oh wow. Um, hmm. Yeah, and so. He's, uh, you know, he's doing what he needs to do in order to um, make money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, don't, I don't begrudge him for that. He, I know he doesn't love working in a meatpacking plant, right? Um, but he also understands the temporary nature of that. He's right. not compromising his values or anything like that. If he was a vegan and doing that, that would probably be a, a problem for him, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so I think that's always something to keep in mind when we're talking about money. Money is not the root of all evil. In fact, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to do a hoarders episode. And I, I'm going to talk about that in, in detail because we think about money as being the root of all evil. There's a section in our, our new book, Love People Use Things, which will be out in July. And that this the, we talk about money. There's a whole chapter, in fact, on money. But there's a section mm-hmm. in particular in there about money and the hoarding of money. And money is not evil. It's not bad either. It's not good either. Right. And that's the problem though. We mistake money as being good. No, and that's the, so the reporter is asking you this question. Mm-hmm. What she's saying is money is good. And that's how she sees money. And you're like, well, it's not bad, but it's also not good. Yeah. It is merely an amplifier. And so if you have quote unquote bad habits, mm-hmm. how many, how many miserable and dead lottery winners do we see mm. because they ha- all they did was amplify those habits. It's like if you take noise, some sort of white noise, which is none of this on this podcast, thanks to podcast Sean. There's no <laughs> noise floor at all. It is pristine. Wait a minute. Do you hear that? <laughs> um, but if you have a, just a little bit of white noise mm-hmm. and you literally put it through an amplifier, mm. what happens? Yeah. It's, it's chaos. It's loud noise. It's true noise. Yeah. And if we do that with money, if we have, quote unquote, bad habits, uh, if we are making, quote unquote, bad decisions, then those decisions will be amplified with the money. Yeah. If you make $23,000 a year, like I did when I walked away from the corporate world, mm-hmm. and the next year you make twice as much of, uh, as that, but you're generous, you're loving, you're kind, you're caring mm-hmm. with your few resources that you do have, mm-hmm. well, that's going to get amplified by money. Yeah. And so over the last decade, you and I have done quite a few things to contribute beyond ourselves, not because it's the, the right thing to help no, I mean, part of it has to do with ego. There's ego in helping other people. That's also not a bad thing. Okay. We've been able to help a lot of people. Um, and and we've done that with fewer resources than we had when we first were in, uh, first left the corporate world, right? Yeah. Which, by the way, we weren't doing anything with that money other than using it to get more debt. Mm. We were broke with lots of money. We were able to leverage our incomes 
to get more debt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's crazy. Wait, and, and so, in a weird way, thankfully, it was just for ourselves at the time because mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to heap that debt onto other people. Right. That's a terrible thing. Yeah. And 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 and, and sin, not that it's morally bad. Actually, that seems like it could potentially be morally bad if I were to force other people to go into debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a different conversation, though. But now, we were everything was going great for us up until the end of 2019, early 2020. We were finishing lessons. Now mm-hmm. we. Uh, we are finishing the, the final touches for Love People Use Things, which is going to be published in more than a dozen languages. Mm-hmm. Uh, private podcast is going well, zero advertisements. Mm. And we had just set up this deal with uh, uh, WME, our, our, our speaking our agency. They, um, they were going to start getting us quarterly and then monthly speaking gigs mm-hmm. at different places that we can go speak and, mm-hmm. and talk about living a meaningful life with less. Yeah. And we, we, we finalized that deal in February of 2020. And then what happened? March happened. Yeah. And of course, there weren't any corporations that were clamoring to have anyone come speak for them. Dude. We had a tour that we had to postpone and then cancel. We had two other tours. So we had the socially distanced tour that we were going to do. In fact, had the dates booked and then canceled that. Mm. Um, that was going to happen in February. And then uh, the Love People Use Things book tour. We had to push back the publishing of the book because we couldn't tour with the book. Mm. Because the book is called Love People Use Things, you and I thought it'd be a great idea. Hey, what if this came out on Valentine's Day? I know it's not a Valentine's Day relationship book, right? but there's certainly a tie-in there, especially with us, questioning the sort of cultural assumptions, the status quo. Yeah. And so we had to push that back. And all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. No speaking gigs. Oh, and by the way, we're, we were going to start doing a quarterly or maybe even monthly live podcast in Los Angeles. Oh, right. You and I had been talking about that. I've been talking to Andrew, <laughs> our, our, our booking agent, about that. And that was, these were all promising things. None of them were going to make us rich, but a hundred bucks here, a thousand bucks there. It was really important to us because we, it's not just for the Josh and Ryan show. This isn't the Josh and Ryan show. Mm-mm. Jordan. Uh, Jordan No More. He he does all of our filmmaking. Podcast Sean does. I don't know what he does exactly. <laughs> Everything we don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everything um, that Jordan doesn't do that we don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Factotum is the word yeah. that comes to mind. Yeah. And, and so he he does yeah uh, all the audio obviously, which is pristine and beautiful. Mm-hmm. By the way, the video stuff is is gorgeous as well, thanks to Jordan. And everything that, that Sean does, audio-wise, but everything he does outside of that, the operations of the minimalist, he yeah. manages a lot of the the operational aspects, the, yep. the glue that keeps things running. Of course, Jess, who is our social media savant, and uh, so all three of them are reliant on us for you know, what you could call a full-time or some sort of uh, equivalent, um, a regular income. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a better way to put it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't require anyone to work a specific number of hours and come into an office or anything like that. Yeah. If Sean can get his job done in 10 hours, great. If it's 100 hours, that's up to him. Right. But um, I wouldn't begrudge him for that. Same with Jordan, same with Jess, etc. cetera. Uh, I think that uh, it's important to note, though, it's not just those those five people. In fact, I call that the starting five, our little text thread, me mm-hmm. and Ryan and Jordan and Jess and Sean, the starting five for the minimalists. But then there are about a dozen people uh, for whom we are responsible for some 
bit of their income. Yeah. We have a bookkeeper, Angel, accountant, and, and business manager, Alan. Yeah. We've got Andrew, our booking agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever we work on a big public, uh, uh, project that is is publicized we have a, a publicist sarah mm-hmm. who yep. uh, will bring back for a lot of people use things for example uh and then we have jeff and dave our developer and designer who mm-hmm. rely on us for you know we rely on them obviously heavily for their yeah. design and and keeping the website uh with the amount of traffic that we have we have to make sure that everything is is working optimally and and so there's a there's about 12 people who were involved in the minimalists? Yeah, we've complected ourselves in a way. I hear what you're saying. You're <laughs> you're you're helping me imagine a life and how much money we could have if we fired all twelve people. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say eleven of the twelve, right? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> what am I going to do without you? <laughs> Whatever you want. Uh, no, oh, man. A- and isn't that interesting? Because like, yeah, we actually uh, the minimalists would just fail miserably without these people in our lives. <laughs> that, that, that I think that's the point. It's yeah. like even if you look at a basketball team, the, the the example you and I sometimes talk about is like Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. Like it's clear to me the Chicago Bulls, mm. the ninety seven, ninety eight Chicago Bulls, or or somewhere around there, were the best basketball team of all time. Yeah, but that doesn't make Michael Jordan the best basketball player of all time. Yeah, it means he played on the best team of all time. Now we could obviously make that argument. I'm, uh, that's sure. irrelevant here. But the other argument is that that LeBron James, when you have like the seventeen Cavalier, twenty seventeen Cavaliers, or not? Yeah, yeah, the Cavaliers. He brought them to the finals and won a championship with a team that was not as superior as the other team. Like he dragged them to yeah, the Yeah, he dragged, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, you could say that. Yeah. I mean, he had Kyrie Irving, and he had Kevin Love, and he had some decent players around him, but it right. wasn't, like, when Michael Jordan left the Chicago Bulls that first time, mm-hmm. they still almost made it to the finals without him. Mm. Uh, they didn't, and they, so they needed him. He was an important, the key component in, in that. So I'm, right. I'm not saying that, but, but imagine if you took LeBron James, and then if you would have removed... Kyrie Irving, or if, if you had just played with four people on the court instead of five, they yeah. would have definitely lost. Yeah. And, and so w- the question is, like, what is the appropriate amount of, of team? We, we don't like to grow for the sake of growing. Ever, uh, never-ending growth sounds mm. like a business imperative, but it's not ideal for us. Right. We, we are always asking ourselves, what is enough? Mm. And so back in 2019, we actually identified on Patreon what was enough. It was 6,000 supporters. of. So we have the three tiers. We have the private podcast tier, mm-hmm. true fans. There's 1,000 true fans, 250 VIPs. Mm. By the way, I know some of you want a list to get on the VIP list. There, here's, here's my pro tip for you. Put a reminder in your calendar, the first of each month, check to see if sometimes one or two spots will open up the very first day of the month someone will leave Mm. and you can fill one of those vip spots we're not increasing that cap same with the thousand true fans there's only about a hundred or so spots left in that thousand true fans Mm. and you get the live events you get the the monthly ask the minimalist anything you get a video version of this podcast as well if you're interested you can do that before it gets to the cap. We did, however, remove, we had a cap of 6,000 on the private podcast because we identified that was enough because we were doing speaking gigs and touring and, and book sales and all these other things, but we didn't account for the pandemic. Right. And so you and I removed the cap recently from the, from that tier, not mm-hmm. the other two tiers. Mm-hmm. Those caps are still in place. And at first I was like, 
well, maybe we should go to our audience and ask them about, is, is this okay? Mm. But then I realized like, well, that's like asking if it's okay to pay podcast Sean. Mm. And of course, I'm not going to ask someone that. Right. I do still want the private podcast to be relatively private. And so mm. if it goes above six, that even by the way, that tier isn't above 6,000 yet anyway, right. that, that, that single tier. But if it goes above 6,000, great, because our enough has changed. And it's mm. changed for a few reasons. The reasons that we already mentioned, the touring, the speaking gigs, we had to delay the film, which means the payments um, were, were delayed to mm-hmm. us. Uh, we had to delay the book publishing. We pushed back two other tours. We canceled the monthly live podcast. Last year, in 2020, the minimalists as a business, I hate thinking of the minimalists as a business, but guess what? It is. And money is not the primary driver, but it's also not not important. Right. And when we pretend that it's not not important, we can go into debt and all these other things. Oh, it's not not important. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it is. It's just it's in the car. It's not in the driver's seat. It's not even in the passenger seat for right, me. Right. But I recognize that it's in the vehicle and having a healthy distance between me and that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like if, you know, let's say this wasn't a profitable thing that we were doing, mm-hmm. then we'd have to go find, you know, regular jobs. I've actually thought about this. Like, I... I would go be a teacher mm-hmm. or an entrepreneur in some other way, yeah. maybe. But regardless, we would still have these meaningful conversations. Uh, we could still record podcasts. But yeah, I mean, we're able to do a lot more when it is profitable, for sure. And you and I would record podcasts. And we'd be doing it in my house with some echo and right. there'd be a noise floor on it. And it, would just, it wouldn't sound as good. It certainly wouldn't. Yeah. We wouldn't even do a video version right. uh, without Jordan. I mean, Jordan is, especially... I mean, even when we first brought him on board back in 2018, mm-hmm. I, I was amazed by his work. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. But the amount of growth that he's gone through the last three years, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. The, the Love People Use Things book trailer? Oh, I yeah. Mean, oh, my God. I yeah. saw that. I'm like, oh, wow. This, when we first started working with Matt Diavella, he did a book trailer for us, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For Everything That Remains back yeah. in 2013. Wow, yeah. And Jordan did this love, and I'm like, oh, this is better than what Matt did back yeah. in 2013. Yeah. Now, he's not Matt Diavella yet, <laughs> but he 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 the the amount of growth that I've seen has been yeah. phenomenal, and so we've been able to contribute to that almost inadvertently. Like it wasn't our intention to like let's mm. let's really get out there and force Jordan to grow. No, but by working together, mm. he's seen a lot of growth. Mm. And in 2020, we saw some constriction. So there are 12 months in a year. Mm. This is a math podcast. <laughs> Nine of those months, the minimalists were unprofitable. Mm. I mean, if you, you our, our accountant sends us the <laughs> monthly report and it's like, here it is, another unprofitable month. Now, here, here's, let me throw a caveat in there. For the year, because of December, we ended up getting a f- payment for the film. We ended up being a profitable for the year. Sure. And there was even one month where you came to me and you're like, hey, Josh, we don't, if we don't pay ourselves this month, uh, I'm totally open to that as long as we can pay Sean and Jordan and Jess and mm-hmm. everyone who needs to be to be paid. And so uh, keeping that in mind as well, but we did have nine months where it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is not what we initially anticipated, right? Right. And so it's not that we had some high expectation. And thankfully, as, as the minimalists and as minimalists in general, we're able to pivot mm. and we're able to to identify like, oh, this isn't working Mm. how it is. And um, to make matters worse, at at the end of last year, Mm -hmm. we get an email from our building 
that says, hey, we're closing this building. You have less than a month to find a new studio space. Yeah. And then we found the space in this building that we're in right now, this temporary building. Mm -hmm. And literally the last day, they're like, no, you can't have that space. Psych. Yeah. I'm like, I have it in writing. Too bad. Yeah. What are you going to do? Sue us? Right. Um, and so not only did we make less money per month because you know, book sales tanked during the pandemic as well. People weren't buying as many things. Totally understandably, mm -hmm. uh, they weren't buying as many things. And so we had to start questioning, like, oh, um, where are we going to end up? How are we going to make up this delta? Mm -hmm. Now, thankfully, uh, through the delays of the film, we ended up getting a payment for the film. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think it's quite a few of the months last year, the reason they were unprofitable, we were spending money on the film that we hadn't yet made. Right. And so when you do that, uh, we're spending our own dollars, basically, mm. before being reimbursed by Netflix for the final film. Yeah. We don't make a ton of money from Netflix either, but uh, what we do get from that is a lot of exposure, which hel helps all of the other projects that we work on. Yeah. So will we get back to public speaking? Yeah, eventually. Sure. Will, will, will we get back to touring? Yeah, mm -hmm. eventually. Will we get back to publishing books? Yeah, of course. It's just been delayed. And so we decided that, hey, let's remove the cap from the $2 tier of private podcast supporters. So anyone who wants to support us, that's the best way for them to do it. Let's stay advertisement free because I just wouldn't feel, God, I wouldn't feel good about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's like, because, <clears throat> you know, I'm always looking for exceptions to the rule. And there are certain, like, mm -hmm. like I use every dollar, right? Yes. And we talk about it all the time. Yes. Um, but I don't want to feel like I have to talk about it. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Bingo. So, so there are certain things that, like, we could totally promote and talk and, and genuinely talk about what we use. But, like, yeah, feeling like we have to talk about them, like, that's bit of a different story. Exactly. Yeah. And, and feeling as though we have to talk about it in a certain way. Right. Because by the way, if every dollar crashed on you or they stole your money or they did something terrible to someone, mm -hmm. which I don't think they would. No. I, I know the whole Ramsey organization. And, and so, but if you all of a sudden now you have to like, it's like, oh, there was a better help scheme. You know, this better help thing. Mm -hmm. You've probably heard advertisements uh, on podcasts. People are always talking about better help this, better help that. Jordan knows mm -hmm. it because he watches YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. It's a, the idea of it sounds great. Better help is uh, this counseling service where you can just, you basically can call up a counselor on the phone oh, wow. so you don't have to travel. Okay. Especially great during a pandemic. Well, just Google better help scam. And oh. so you have all these people who are advertising for better help, and it turns out that it wasn't necessarily a scam, but it was, it wasn't delivering what it was promising. Mm. So that's kind of a scam, um, allegedly. Mm. And so yeah, you could just Google that yourself if you're interested in, in learning more about that. But m my point is that like if I used better help personally, yeah, and I got something from it, then I could come on here and talk about it. Now if they paid me to do that, I would feel compelled to talk about them in a certain way. Right. In fact, we're going to do the hoarders episode in a few weeks, and my added value that week are three physical items, because I wanted to show like hoarding isn't or n not a non-hoarding lifestyle isn't about getting rid of all items and not finding value in items. So right. I'm going to talk about some things I do get value from, mm. but they're not going to pay me a dime. In fact, one of these companies, two of the three, mm -hmm. have offered me to, you know, can we pay you something to advertise in your podcast? Mm. And my answer is no, you can't. But I can yeah. talk about your, your product or service right? because we're supported 
by our listeners. Right. And so thank you for that. Um, we are moving to a new studio and that may mean higher rent for us as well. So that's an, another thing to, to keep in mind. But I will say that everyone who is on our team got paid last year, every yeah. month. In fact, uh, year-end bonuses mm-hmm. um, for the, the starting five as well. And so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a breakthrough year. Sean is not yet worth $124 million. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe that he is, and that's where they get the number from. Oh, shoot, man. <laughs> he looks really nervous right now. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you sweating, Sean? <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, no $2 cap for now, but um, that could change in the future. And we're keeping the caps for the true fans and the VIP tier. Mm. Only about 100 or so spots left in the true fan tier. If you want to change that, you can... Certainly go in there and just go to patreon.com slash the minimalist and, and change where your membership tier is. Now, Ryan, I've got this article here for our more about less segment. Mm. It's called minimalism versus maximalism. Which is more stylish? Oh, my gosh. And That's so funny. what's fascinating about this is if I were to re- retitle this, I would say maximalism versus minimalism. Which is your preference? Right. And so, because when you think about minimalism, I also don't want you to moralize that as though living the minimal life is better than living the maximalist life. Yeah. I'll give you an example outside of the realm of stuff. And let me see if this illustrates something for you, Ryan. Okay. My favorite writer is who? Uh, yeah, DFW. Yeah, David Foster Wallace. And he is a maximalist writer. If I were to, d- to describe his writing in one word, yeah. it would be maximalism. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. He is. It's like, we'll, like, we'll look at something... And we'll be like, okay, how can we say what we're trying to say in as few words as possible? Uh-huh. And David Foster Wallace is like, okay, how can I say this in twice as many words? <laughs> sort of, yes. <laughs> um, but he will. He does so, and here's the here's the, the difference. He does so intentionally. Yeah. And I think you look at someone like James Joyce, who was also, I would call a maximalist writer. I don't see the same intention that I do with David Foster Wallace. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you pick up a book like Infinite Jest or... Uh, the Pale King, mm-hmm. for example, you could turn to any page and every sentence is gorgeous. Mm. It's nearly impossible. I mean, a, a book like Infinite Jest, which is 1,079 pages, mm-hmm. but any page you go to, every sentence is gorgeous. Mm. H- how do you do that? Well, it, it requires a level of attention that m- most people aren't willing to, to do. Yeah. You know, he, and somehow he wrote that book at age 33, thir- 30 to 33. Oh, wow. Three years of his life, but all day, every day, that's sort of the only thing that he could do, right? Yeah. And it was all written by hand, which, think about that for a moment. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. And so, I look at that and I say, there's maximalism with intention. In fact, done well, that's what maximalism is. So this article, which is in Harper's Bazaar, I was interviewed briefly for it. They wanted to do a longer interview. I didn't have time, but... Uh, this, Harper's, this is our first time in Harper's Bazaar, Ryan. We finally made it. Oh my goodness. Um, Speaking of David Foster Wallace, he has this great essay called, um, oh, uh, Getting Away from Pretty Much Already Being Away from It All. Mm. It's an a essay about this, the Illinois State Fair. Oh, and wow. he's, he's writing it for Harper's Magazine. Not Harper's Bazaar, but he's there, and the old ladies at the recipe tent think he's from Harper's Bazaar. And they're, like, so excited that a reporter from Harper's Bazaar is there. <laughs> so good. Even though he's writing for Harper's Magazine. That's Two great. totally different organs. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let, me, uh, let me return away from my diversion there. <laughs> Getting back to this article, um, really what they did here, I, I like the approach where they, they – Put the two against each other. And so in the minimalism camp, you had this gal named Tina Charisma, writer and TED Talk speaker. 
And she says, I initially had reservations about minimalism. As a social innovator who has spent her career addressing issues predominantly associated with inequalities, minimalism sounded like a subject only the rich could be concerned with. <laughs> I could not imagine myself at work leading or, or designing a, a project telling people who at times did not even know where their next meal is coming from that less is more, just declutter. Yeah, of course. And, and Ryan and I would never say less is more, just declutter. No. In fact, the the just declutter is prescriptive. I'm not telling anyone that they should declutter. Mm -hmm. I think what minimalism allows us to do is have a deeper understanding of the societal problem of consumerism. Yeah. And if we have that deeper understanding, then we can move our aesthetic preferences in either direction. For me personally, I really enjoy minimalist aesthetic. There's like uh, Axel Vavort, who is probably my favorite interior designer. Let's mm -hmm. put a link to his website in the show notes, Sean. Um, you would know him because he did Kanye's interior on his house. Mm. But like, you, if you look at like his offices in Belgium, they are so intentional. But I would also say that while he has aspects of minimalism, if you look at his home, mm -hmm. he is in many ways a maximalist. In fact, I had this quote from Axel Vavort. Maybe I don't have it here written down. But he talks about bringing objects into his home. When he brings them into his home, he does so because he wants to give them a better home than what they already have. <laughs> and and when you see when you see his home, you get it because it's so well curated. Mm. And, and so he has a lot of objects. I would even call his home maximalist design to a great extent. Mm. Not as much so as like the examples in this article. If you want to go to this Harper's Bazaar article, we'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. Ryan, the the house that was in here. In fact, you can see a little bit of it here on the cover. Yeah. It's truly gorgeous. It reminds me of my mom's aesthetic. My mom was a maximalist designer. Mm. She had lots of things in her house, but everything was intentional. In fact, I, I think aesthetically, she probably had the best aesthetics of anyone I, I know, aesthetic sense of anyone I know. Mm. Even though it's not my aesthetic, I, I, I veer more toward, like, I sent you a video yesterday of John Paulson. Mm-hmm. He's a minimalist architect, probably my favorite architect of all time. Mm -hmm. He's still alive. He's in England. Find put a, a, a link to his home in. He has this homestead in England. Oh my God, it's it's perfect mm. for me mm -hmm. and for him, mm -hmm. but not prescriptively perfect. Right. And I think that's the key when we're talking about minimalism versus maximalism. The question is, which is more stylish or which is more appropriate? Which is preferable to you? Yeah. And that changes. In fact, if you watch Less Is Now, it addresses that beginning question here about, well, yeah, Ryan and I grew up poor, hmm. but we, in many ways, did not grow up intentionally, especially mm. with respect to money. It was only in my mom's later days, after she stopped drinking and started spending money more um, intentionally, that she developed the aesthetic that she, she, I think she had had all along, but she really refined it. And she had a beautiful, beautiful uh, home and plants everywhere and hats and doilies and big antique chests and you remember all this stuff yeah she did love her hats didn't she oh my god those big sun hats yes yeah. so many of them i still have a hat box of hers <laughs> and um it's like the one thing that doesn't really you know, fit my decor but like i kept one sort of sentimental item from her and it's mm. a it's an old hat box and has some photos in it in mm. fact uh in a few weeks i'm i'm Reapproaching, I have that that hat box is full of photos. The only photos I have that haven't been scanned yet, yeah, 
are in that hat box. And so I'm going to try one of these scanning companies out because we always talk about them and I'm going to oh, see, yeah. does it make, uh, do, does it really work or do they ruin my photos? Does it live up to the hype? Yes. Yes, indeed. And yeah. by the way, I'm not going to, they're not going to pay me to sponsor that, yeah. that, uh, I'm going to pay for the service myself mm. and, and, and go through it myself so we can talk about it yeah. in an authentic way. So does this, th- this is minimalism versus maximalism. This article specifically talks about decor. Yes. Okay. Now, Interesting. Um, because I, cause it's funny because when I think about maximalism, mm-hmm. you know, I, 10 years ago it was like, oh, well, that's, what I, that's the life I was living. I was trying to like have as much stuff as possible. But, uh-huh. you know, there is something with getting rid of your things, living, living a meaningful life with less so you can maximize your contribution, so you can maximize your relationships, mm-hmm. so you can maximize the love and the peace in your life. Freedom. Yeah. So there is, there is a, there's always a, a maximalism that is going to be in anyone's life. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And then there's always going to be a minimalism. So on the other end of it, it's, if you're chasing stuff, then you're minimizing your peace. You're minimizing your right. your love, your relationships. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it, maximalism. I, I guess yeah, it's not such a bad word. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's. Uh, you know, in fact, we can even talk about the maximalist side of this article. Let me mm-hmm. see if I can find it here. Uh, minimalism is liberation. It talks about. And it talks about. You know, it's a long article, so I mm-hmm. obviously can't read the whole thing to you. We'd be here all day. But in the maximalism camp, you have this gal, Abigail Ahern, interior designer and author. And um, she says a few things in here that I, I think I probably disagree with. Mm. Let me see if I can find one of those lines. But it's, I disagree just because we use different verbiage. So she says maximalism brings joy to the home. Mm. Now, I what are you maximalizing, though? Right. She, she's, she's talking, talking about, about max, big stacks of newspapers. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's not about having more stuff. That's hoarding. It's about the intentional uh, use of objects. Mm. And really all it is is, hey, you have slightly more objects that you've brought into your life intentionally. Now, mm. A few objects can take up an entire room very quickly, especially if you get some big objects. And you see that in this article, some of the decor here. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. In fact, I would feel at peace in that space. So if what she's saying for her is maximalism brings peace to the home, Mm -hmm. maybe if it brings peace to the home for you. Mm -hmm. Some other people might feel overwhelmed. I Certainly if I compared a John Paulson home to this Abigail uh, Ahern's home, I'm going to feel greater peace in John Paulson's home, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that he's right and she's wrong. Right. It's all about preference. And by the way, to do either one of them well still requires an incredible amount of restraint. Yes. Moving it back full circle here, that David Foster Wallace example, mm. it's it seems... Joycean. It seems like stream of consciousness. Big giant book. I'm imposing my phallus onto the world. Look how big this book is. <laughs> no, no, no. It's so intentional. Mm. And the amount of restraint in that book is also incredible. It's as incredible as a Raymond Carver novel, which has a ton of restraint from a minimalist perspective, right? He's mm-hmm. sort of the most well-known minimalist writer. If it, Laurie Moore, she's another minimalist short story writer. And, and you see an incredible amount of restraint there. You can go back to religious texts like, um, like um, you know, Lao Tzu's writings. Mm-hmm. Those are, there's a lot of restraint there. It's just different kinds of restraint. Mm-hmm. But it's not just heaping 
things on for the sake of heaping. And in fact, that becomes the biggest problem. Mm. You have this gal, um, Abigail, who is, they're both intentionalists, mm-hmm. right? Mm. One has fewer objects, but they're both I- incredibly intentional. Unfortunately, maximalism apes the form of hoarding. Mm. I- if you're not careful, y- it can seem like, oh, well, look, that person just got a bunch of stuff in the room and that's why it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put a bunch of stuff in my room. Why isn't it beautiful? Because you didn't do so with an intentionalist's heart, mm-hmm. with an intentionalist's mindset. And mm-hmm. so if you just heap things in there, it's not gonna make it beautiful. And the same is true. If you just remove a bunch of stuff, that doesn't make the space beautiful either. It just makes it empty. Right. You're complete in the empty room. The question is, what is appropriate for that room? Yeah. Yeah. The intentionalists. Patent pending. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Ryan, we got some surprise questions from Podcast Sean. Let's do it. Looks like Abby has a question for us. My in-laws enjoy giving us lots of random stuff. For example, food I can't eat. I'm gluten intolerant. Clothes that don't fit, etc. And now that we have a child, the gifting has grown worse. My husband suggests I stay silent and just let the gifted items go. But the process of responsibly dealing with items I didn't want and didn't buy is robbing me of peace. Mm. I'm struggling with resenting my husband, whom I deeply love and respect, because he won't deal with it. Mm-hmm. How do I appropriately and tactfully address this issue. I don't think you want to deal with it. Here's what I mean by that. If you find out you're pre-diabetic, mm. you don't want to deal with that. Hmm. You want to eliminate that. Mm. And so um, I think right now the problem, the underlying problem is that you are dealing with it. Mm. Meaning like, oh, you know, I'm kind of resenting my husband a little bit. And I'm so sorry to hear that. I know what it's like to resent someone you love. And uh, the reason that that happens is because we're not willing to have some of the difficult conversations until I think it's Tony Robbins who said, you want to kill Godzilla when he's a baby, not when he's taking over the city. Right. And right now, Godzilla's a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's where you are right now. Not but, fully grown, but Godzilla is a teenager and he's wrecking your home. Right. And, uh, and I, it can, it's going to it get worse. It gets worse from here if he's not addressed. Right. Yeah. Abby, have you, posited this exact statement and question to your husband because that's really who this needs to be addressed with. I've done this recently with Bex. Yeah. And, you know, it's so fascinating, Ryan, that the what I did is I said, hey, I don't want to end up resenting this. Mm-hmm. I know that's on me, but let's deal with it now so that because I am starting to feel so a little bit of that resentment. Mm. Now, what happens when that resentment grows, Ryan? It just creates a really bad relationship. And yeah, yeah, it's really, I mean, I don't know. I'm not trying to choose sides here, but for Abby's husband to be like, well, deal with it. Or Beck's just looking at you and be like, well, deal with your resentment then. Don't put it on me. Yeah, I'm not going to do anything. You figure out a way mm-hmm. to just deal with the way things are. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like a partnership. No. It sounds like a dictatorship. And my guess is your husband, it probably isn't going to do that. He he may not even realize. My guess is he probably doesn't realize. No, yeah, he's, yeah, he, I mean, he understands the problem and he's caught in the middle between his wife and his parents. Yes. Um, and it, it is easier for him to look at his wife and say, well, can you just, just don't say anything and 
you know, I'm okay with you just getting rid of the stuff that comes in. Um, but that's not working anymore. Maybe that worked in the beginning. It's mm-hmm. not working anymore now that they have a child. So they have to have a difficult conversation. And man, I just want to like, I don't know. I, I just, I guess I, I feel very lucky. My mom used to kind of be like this, but now that I'm one of the minimalists and I've had these very difficult conversations, she doesn't do this nearly as often. Yeah. But these gifts that are just completely unthoughtful of, well, here's a donut, even though I know that you're diabetic and gluten-free and that you have gluten allergies, here's a donut. It's you, an insult. Yeah, it is an insult. Here's clothes that don't fit. Here's a oversized sweatshirt with orange tassels on it. Yeah. Yeah. Or if I were to, hey, Ryan, I got you the shirt. It's a size small. Yeah. It's like, it's very unthoughtful. And yeah, I mean, and maybe that's the question that Abby and her husband need to have with her husband's parents of like, hey, we understand that you're trying to show us love. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. how you can show us love. I remember we were in Adelaide. I think it was Adelaide, Australia. Mm -hmm. Or was it Austria? Adelaide, Austria. Put another shrimp on the bobby. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, uh, what is that? Ace Ventura pet detective joke. So someone, he was like, and a very genuine. Because again, like this isn't nothing. No one's trying to hurt anyone's feelings or be disrespectful to someone. And a very they are. That's really messed up. Right, exactly. In a very genuine way, he's like, well, hey, look, you know, my love language is gifting objects. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, how, help me understand mm-hmm. how I can show my love by gifting objects when I am a minimalist and when some of my friends are minimalists, you know, help, help me, you know, help, help me work through this. And my thought was, and I, I didn't say this at the time. I mean, we, you know, we kind of, we told, we went back and forth. We had a really good conversation. I figured ex- exactly what it was, but I felt really good about where that, where that question went. But what I wish I would have said was, is why are you asking or why are you forcing your love language onto other people? Ooh. The question is, is like, how, what is their love language? Mm. Like, that's the question you should be asking. Like yes. it's, it's not about how do you want to give love? It's how do people want to receive love? And that's how you give the most meaning. That's how you give the most love. I was going to say the most meaningful gifts, but it's beyond that. Mm-hmm. It's how you can give someone the love the way they want to receive it. So, I think that there's a conflation there too, right? When someone comes to you and says, my love language is gifting, right? Or giving objects or whatever it is. They're mistaking the form for the essence. Mm -hmm. And the essence isn't about the gift. Mm -hmm. The essence is about the the contribution, the adding value. We talk about this in Love People Use Things. By the way, if uh, patrons, if you do get a chance to pre-order that, it definitely helps us out a lot. Uh, helps our publisher. Um, they really get behind the book with the more pre-orders that are out there. So yeah. lovepeopleusethings.net if you'd like to do that. Anyway, um, what we talk about in there is the, the, the gift-giving thing and understanding. It always comes back to the why, mm-hmm. right? And so my in-laws enjoy giving us lots of random stuff. That's Abby's first sentence there. Why? Why? Get to the why. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. They don't even know the why. So it's really no. hard for you to understand the why. In fact, you're probably going to understand the why before they truly understand the why. But if you mm-hmm. can understand it, it may open up a portal for you to, to understand. To, 
it may open up a portal for you to receive those gifts without the anxiety, without the disruption of peace. It may also open up the portal for some conversations, some repeated conversations around what would add value to your life, mm. what contributions from them, what gifts, you can even use their language, gifts, but they don't have to be physical gifts, right? or they can be better gifts mm. in a way. And by having those difficult conversations with first your husband, helping him understand. Got to get on the same team, yes. on the same page first before yes. you talk to his parents for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Dixon has a question for us. I collect records and CDs since I prefer physical media over digital media. What a hipster, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I'm projecting because I hear records is the, you know, the best audio form yeah and tape surprisingly uh what's his name uh cassette tape rollins. yeah peter rollins thank you podcast oh yeah yeah henry, henry rollins henry rollins like, no relation to peter i don't think right no but it's like i because i don't want to go out and buy a record player i don't have room for it i don't have room for records yeah i'm just projecting because um i feel like i'm missing out on the the crispest sound. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so Dixon's going on. Uh, at, at what point would this be considered hoarding? Mm. I'm deliberate with purchases, and I don't have a cluttered home, but I'm conscious of the space my music collection occupies. Yeah. So, well, Ryan, I, I think that I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm just going to say, Dixon, you're not a minimalist, and that's okay. Or maybe, but or maybe you are, man. Like, I mean, yeah. But here's the thing, like. You don't have to be, and I'm not prescribing that to anyone. A hoarder in whose eyes? Well, well we get, we're, in fact, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to talk about hoarding, maybe three, I don't know what it is, mm -hmm. two, three weeks from now. We're doing a whole hoarding episode, really diving into what, what does hoarding mean? And so sure. there are five levels of hoarding. There is... Um, really, yeah. You, 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 so I, I, I'm going to give you a spoiler here for, for that episode. I think we're all hoarders. To a certain extent, sure. Exactly. We're all hoarders to some extent. So does this mean you're a hoarder? Yes, to some extent. But is it a problem in your life? Well, I don't know. Doesn't sound like it. It's The only thing that makes me think that it might be, Ryan... Is he's asking the question. Exactly. Well, he says, at what, at what point would this be considered hoarding? Let's rephrase this. At what point would this be considered too much? So, mm. Dixon, the question is, too much for who? Yes. For whom? Yeah. Yes. Is it for you, Dixon, or is it for me? It's Yume. yeah. Yume. <laughs> it's definitely too much for meme. <laughs> and Josh is too much for Yume. <laughs> yeah. But for Dixon, uh, it doesn't sound like it's too much, man. Like that is, that's the question. So whose eyes, whose perspective are you looking through? Um, but you're right. The fact that he's asking this question, there's something in his mind that's saying this might be too much. Mm. But who is saying that? Is it, again, is it from Dixon's perspective or right. is it from Josh and I's perspective? Because, yes, you're right. From our perspective, it's too much, Dixon. Yes, yes, indeed. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. Carlo has a question for us. I've heard Finns have a, I don't know how to pronounce this, with Verasto? Yeah. All right. I've heard Finns have a Verasto warehouse at home. Seems useful for tools that one doesn't often use, like snow boots and luggage, but it risks becoming a place where one could store useless things since it's out of sight. Can we have a healthy relationship with such a storage room? Letting go every few months, perhaps? You know, you can look at this almost like a, it's a 
on-site storage locker in a way, right? I'm, my apartment building, condo building, whatever it is, I rent a condo from someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, in the basement where we're parked, there's basically like this little storage locker, I guess you could call it. Sure. Uh, where you keep your snowshoes. <laughs> yes, and my luggage, apparently. But, you know, but ser- like, if you had snowshoes and luggage there, yeah, like it would be pointless. It would be too much. Yeah, yeah, it would for be me silly. It would because yeah. I don't use luggage. Uh, I use I have a packed bag, right? Right. And I have a uh, I have shoes, but the I don't. I, I guess I have in Montana. I do have a pair of snow boots. Mm. So yeah, I, I but like it, I don't need that extra space. But if I needed it, I wouldn't feel bad about it. The mm. problem is, yes, you're right. It's out of sight. It's out of mind. Right. And. Because it's out of sight and out of mind, we can often go in there and and clutter it up without without knowing, mm-hmm. and we can add to that hoard. Now, of course, you could set some boundaries up and say, "Well, I'm going to go there every 30 days and just see if there's anything worth donating." Mm-hmm. It'd take you five minutes to do that, right. but then all of a sudden, it takes that psychological burden off of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it's not 30 days. Maybe you go in there and, and you say. All right, let me look at the different rules that apply from the minimalist rule book. What rules apply to this? Or maybe you go in there once a year and you do a minimalism game on the little storage locker that you have, the Versario or whatever it's called. And, and yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I think it's preferable if you want those things out of the way. There's a reason that my cabinets have doors on them, right? Mm. I prefer that the plates are hidden, even though they're Stacked in there pristinely. Mm-hmm. All my plates are in alphabetical order. Mm. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of my plates, which are like all different patterns and colors. Uh-huh. And technically, you could find a way to alphabetize them. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. The color spectrum. Right, or exactly. Something. Yeah. Yeah. No, mine are on a different spectrum. Yeah. That's funny, man. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. my point is that, like, yes. I do store things away. I like to have things out of sight and out of mind, but at the same time, it becomes a problem. And so I'm constantly looking at even my junk drawer, which for most people does not look like a junk drawer. And I'm looking at that and saying, all right, what can I get rid of here? In fact, uh, last month, Bex and I played the 30-day minimalism game, the Less Is Now Challenge is what we're calling it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can check it out on her Instagram account, at Minimal Wellness. And you can see that a lot of the stuff we got rid of were just from drawers that like, oh, 9090 rule definitely applies to this. Let's get this out of here. Mm. And so, in fact, I would argue most of the things that we had were behind some sort of door or drawer that it made it easy to hide. And so we have to be intentional about those hidden spaces. Yeah. I mean, to answer these questions head on, like, can we have a healthy relationship with such a storage room? Yes. As long as you have the appropriate boundaries set up so yeah letting go every few months great sounds like a boundary it might be different for the fins who have these rooms dude it's the pandemic i haven't snowboarded since oh it's depressing man it's been a while it's been over a year wow it's been about it's been just over a year since i've snowboarded uh they're starting to open things back up like i don't feel comfortable man like getting on the lifts and getting in the lines and Mm. it's something that like we may have to skip this season am i going to throw away my snowboard hell no no yeah, um, it, yeah there, there's always the, you know, the maybe the 17th rule is the pandemic exception rule, right? I guess, man. Yeah. but the, And that's just it, man. Like, you know, I don't know. Minimalism is not a destination. Minimalism helps you live intentionally. And because of the pandemic, 
um, you know, I have even felt better about the way I've intentionally lived and that Mariah has intentionally lived up to this point. But yeah, I mean, it's not these rigid rules where I'm like, well, shoot, man, I haven't used that snowboard in the last 90 days. I'm probably not going to use it in the next time. I guess it has to go. Right. I mean, that would be, that would be miserable. Right. And so when you get so tied up in the binary or the how to. Yeah. 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 And, and so it becomes when it, when it is the definitive rule, mm-hmm. that's why it's the joke. Like it's the minimalist rule book. Cause there is no minimalist rule book, mm-hmm. but, but when it becomes definitive, like you know, there was a time where I was like, well, you know, we're not doing interviews anymore. But like, if I renounce that, then all of a sudden we miss out on opportunities. So I think there was a three-year period where we, we did maybe five interviews because those five truly made sense. We did right. Dave Ramsey's show. We, we did something with the Wall Street Journal. Like there were a few things, but we said no to virtually. But if I just renounced all interviews, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I'm depriving myself. Yeah. And Ryan is right. Minimalism is not the destination, but that's not to say there isn't a destination and destinations are important. What minimalism is, is a a vehicle to help move you toward that destination in a calmer, more peaceful, freer way. Mm. Someone named Shard has a question for us. I have a film collection. I've downsized considerably. It's the only thing I own in bulk, but I feel that it has now become a burden each time I move. Even when I finally feel settled in my new place, the thought of hauling it all again nags me. So they get it all nice and mm-hmm. set and put away. And like after they do that, they're like, crap, I'm going to have to do this all. Like it's already yeah. daunting to think about doing that all over again. Is my bar for what I hold dear simply not high enough? This is like one of those, it's, maximalism or minimalism yes what is your perspective right what's what is the net positive for you and that's why i said dixon probably isn't a minimalist he's a maximalist in in that respect Mm. and it's okay because you're doing things intentionally and i look at shard here and the the same thing is i think applies here except there's an extra layer it's become a burden for you in fact it's now become a burden, not just when you move, mm. but before you move. And now you're thinking about, and, and, and so you're on the other side of this where it's like, ah, oh, this is actively disturbing my peace. Yeah. And if it is actively disturbing your peace, I think you know what to do. You already know the why. Mm-hmm. The how-to then becomes so, so yeah. simple. I mean, I'm thinking like I have... There are burdens I carry. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like at the bed that Mariah and I have, it's big and it's heavy. It takes up a lot of room. Um, but it gives me a really good night's sleep. Yeah. I I feel bad when I have movers move it, which by the way, when you're a minimalist, you can get all your stuff like packed up in a truck in like three hours. It's awesome. Yeah. Two two hours. Um. Anyway, uh, but when they move that bed, I'm like, it's like three people. It's, you know, it's one of those like foam mattresses where you can't really get a good grip on it. It's like becoming a taco. And I mean, it's, and yeah. it weighs a million pounds. Right. And every time like we put it in a room, I'm like, God, this thing takes up so much space. But again, I get a really good night's sleep. So for me, it's a burden that I'm happy to carry mm. because it is a net positive. And that's, I mean, Shard has to weigh it out. Is it a net positive or negative with those, with those films? I mean, for me, this is kind of like the CD and record thing. It's like, 
I'm okay having the the digital version removes that burden of having the physical object. So it's a net negative for me to hold on to the physical VHSs. Or I'm imagining he's just got these big reels of film and like a projector that he's using. <laughs> You're picturing him in the warehouse, right. just surrounded by film. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, if I had a bunch of CDs and tapes and records, it's like for me, like yeah, I might get a better experience out of it, but I'm not willing to carry that burden. So shard. If you're willing to carry that burden, great. If you're not, great. Either way, your minimalist certificate's in the mail. <laughs> Plant Jelena has a question for us. If we have a hobby, like gardening, that requires us to collect things, how do we create boundaries and how do we determine what's enough? I love this question. The boundaries part we can talk about, but of course, the fundamental question here is, what is enough? Not how do we determine it, mm -hmm. but what is enough? Mm -hmm. Now, enough changes over time. We've got an essay on our website about enough, right? And you and I have identified what is enough, and then enough will change based on the circumstances. Yeah. Uh, on earlier in this private podcast, we just had a conversation about our own finances and how that has changed mm -hmm. and what enough means for our business and and why that has changed based on circumstances. Sometimes enough is circumstantial. Sometimes enough is based on your preferences, right? What's enough for me may be too much for you. Mm. And in one area, what is too much for you may be too little for me. Yeah. Oh, by the way, when I was 29, first stumbled across minimalism, what was enough for me then mm. is different from what's enough for me now at age 39 mm -hmm. with a seven-year-old daughter and a wife and living in California. And, and so enough is, in many ways, it's like that, you remember in Terminator 2, the liquid metal <laughs> uh, police officer, when you shot him, he would explode. And then, yeah, that's kind of how enough is. It just, it, it, it is malleable in a way, right? <laughs> And, <laughs> yes. And so it can turn into something else. Mm. Um, so when I look at what is enough, that's the, the place to start. And so the hobby, understanding whether it's gardening or it's writing or it's playing guitar or snowboarding, mm -hmm. limitations breed creativity. Mm. But too many limitations are constricting. Mm. Like Ryan, for example, you could go out and buy all the snowboarding equipment in the world. Mm-hmm. It's not going to necessarily make you a better snowboarder. Right. In fact, you put it all on at once, it's going to make you a worse snowboarder. Right. Right. You got all these accoutrements and attachments and mm. aperitifs and all of these things mm. that, are, that, are, that are going on in and around you. But if I take away your snowboard, you're actually going to be a worse snowboarder as well. <laughs> There's that, no snowboarding equipment that goes in you, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it wrong this whole time. <laughs> I don't know who talked you into that, but <laughs> it was you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's right. Forget to say I was joking. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, let, let me just finish this thought, uh, Ryan. So, so the point is, like, if I took away your snowboard, you wouldn't have enough. If I gave you all the best snowboarding equipment, mm -hmm. it would probably be too much. Mm -hmm. Enough is highly per is highly individual. Yeah. It's perspectival. And it changes as you change. Plangelina, you got to ask yourself what you can afford. Ooh. So it's monetarily. I mean, that's what we think of when we, when we hear that question. But 
what kind of space do you have? What kind of time do you have? And like Josh said, that stuff changes. Those those resources, the time, the space, the money, that changes. So what do you have the resources for now? And that is where you start to form your boundaries. I got one more question here from Slaley. Okay, Slaley. Here's what Slaley wants to know. How do I stop my impulse to buy multiples of items that tend to wear out quickly? Backpacks, water bottles, etc. There are some things that simply seem to warrant a backup. Uh, I have, mm, I want to say, Staley, you're buying the wrong backpack and water bottle. I've had the same water bottle for yeah. five years. I I've had the same backpack for, well, I got the new packed backpack. Yeah. But that thing, I took camping and like, th- this was not last weekend, but the weekend before. Um, it was just very durable. I could sit here and tell you about all the dirt and scraping up against rocks and like it falling off the side of this mountain and you know all it, it was really durable so uh that would be my advice to slay lee is you know don't forsake the uh the quality for the quantity because if you spend a little bit extra up front and get a high quality product you don't have to buy multiples now there are multiples of things i buy like toilet paper rolls yes um oh I don't do this anymore because I finally got a good set of uh, like slip-on flip-flops um, thanks to Rich Roll. I won't tell you the brand because they're not paying us and the brand for me isn't the best for them. But Rich Roll helped me out with this like really good pair of like leather uh, flip-flops that I can see like, oh, these are going to last a while. But I used to get the Havanas and I'd buy two pair at a time mm. because – and they always break the most. Yeah. <laughs> the worst times, man. Like – we're walking around. Have you been to uh, the, oh, man, the Getty Villa? Yeah. Yeah. So no, I haven't been to the Villa, just to the Getty. Okay. So the Villa, uh, I mean, you know, you're, you've got to walk around a lot both. But, like, Mariah's uh, Havana's broke the Getty Villa. And, like, I got a paperclip. And somehow, I don't even know how I did it. But, like, got a paperclip and somehow, like, rigged it up for her to, like, finish walking. You're like the generic MacGyver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, we went home. We had another pair. So, like, she had another pair to, like, wear to the beach the next day. Sure. Um, so there are there are doubles. But when I saw how wasteful it was with those flip-flops, I'm like, okay, I need a better solution. I didn't really have one until Rich Roll kind of kindly introduced me to these. This And Mariah got a pair of them as well. But, uh, but yeah, so all that to say is, is, like, yes, there are some things that I will buy multiples of. But if I find myself being wasteful, like, then I start to look for a better substitute. Yeah, I think I would identify whether or not I'm making an excuse, right? Because I hear yes. some sort of excuses in this question. Because the, ex- the reason I say that is the examples that have that were proffered here, they, as you mentioned, are not great examples. Like you can buy a backpack that you know, Patagonia makes phenomenal. Ba- Bex has had the same Patagonia backpack for like I think 17 years. Yeah. Like, ever since she bef- before she got out of college. Yeah. Right. And so. She she's had that for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same with her, the boots that she she just replaced her. What are those tufts? I think they're called. Super I've never tufts heard of those. Yeah. Anyway, um, Uggs. No, <laughs> I'm uh, kidding. She she had it for like 15 years, yeah. and it finally wore out. Mm. And so there are high quality items. Of course, buy once. Uh, let's put a link to that in the show notes, Sean. So mm-hmm. um, they recommend products and services that you know are everlasting you you the idea is to buy something once so that it lasts a long time or even a lifetime yeah and so keeping that in mind 
but Ryan is correct as well. There, there are some things that you buy just for win. Mm-hmm. So I like to delineate they're, they're just in case, they're emergency items, and there is just for win. Those are three of our rules from the minimalist rule book. Right. So the just in case items are things that we justify holding on to. And I hear a little bit of that in Slaley's question here. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to buy this just in case. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's the case, I wouldn't buy it, and I wouldn't hold on to it if it's a just in case just in case item, unless it's one of those rare emergency items that's a just in case item. Mm-hmm. So I have a first aid kit at home. Now, hopefully, I don't have to use it within the next 90 days, so mm-hmm. it doesn't fit in the 90-90 rule. It's but it is a just in case item. I don't I'm not I don't hold it just for when I'm going to use it. Mm-hmm. It is just in case I need it. Uh, snow snow chains when we lived in Montana were a just just in case emergency item. Right. And so a handful of emergency items that are appropriate for me, depending on my circumstance, those are important. Those are those are just in case items that I can feel good about. They actually bring a peace of mind to my life. Right. But we have to be careful because we can justify anything, as I hear in the question. Yeah. And then finally, we have the just for win rule. Just for win is, as Ryan says, I don't buy my toilet paper one square at a time, my toothpaste one nurdle at a time. Mm-hmm. I will buy, in fact, with toothpaste, I buy four tubes of toothpaste at once oh, every time. I thought you were going to say four nurdles. <laughs> <laughs> I have to- three in my pocket right now. Toothpastenerdles.com. <laughs> like the the uh, hash browns or the tater tots in my cargo shorts. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'd be doing the same thing with uh, with nurdles of toothpaste. Anyway, anyway. Uh, I buy four tubes of toothpaste just for when because I don't mm. like going to the grocery store uh, a lot. And so, and then when I get down to zero tubes, I go buy four more. Mm-hmm. That's just how I do it. I know I'm going to use it every time, so it is just for when yeah i buy the double pack mariah and i buy the double pack and like when that when we get down to the first or to the last one Uh it's like we put it on our list Mm -hmm. and then we'll go get another double pack yeah Yeah. anyway that makes sense and so uh what you're talking about is setting up some boundaries there yeah and and just for when is is a type of boundary emergency items are is an understanding that sometimes unfortunate things happen we can prepare for some of those the most likely ones, we certainly can't prepare for everything. Mm. Not an advocate for prepping. In fact, I think that prepping can disconnect us from a community. We did a whole episode on, on prepping with uh, T.K. Coleman. You can go back and listen to that episode. And then, of course, the just-in-case items. If you're really holding on to something just-in-case, here's your permission. Mm. Let it go. Just let it go. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for joining us. Patrons, we're really grateful for you and Amen. your time. We will, uh, oh man, we've got so much stuff going on uh, for Patreon as well. Uh, of course, Minimalism Today, uh, doing that. Ryan and I are, um, we, we've been doing the biggest failures thing. I think around 40 of those in the can are getting close to that. And then we're talking about pivoting that to a new series. Stay tuned uh, for that. Ryan and I still have some discussions around that. But um, a lot more things coming to, yeah. a lot more of less coming to Patreon. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're going to maximize your less. <laughs> Get ready to maximize your less with the minimalists. Love y'all. Thanks so much. Love people. Use things. Thank you so much, patrons. You are our favorite listeners. The minimalists. <laughs>